Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. See what the Spirit would say to us, amen, here tonight. Leviticus chapter number 14 and verse uh, 35, verse 35, I want to read this, and we'll, we'll probably take a few other verses along the way, and so it's probably just best to have your finger there or a marker there uh, along the journey here tonight. Amen. Verse 35, the Bible says, And he that owneth the house shall come and tell the priest, saying, It seemeth to me, there is as it were a plague in the house then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest go into it to see the plague that all that is in the house be not made unclean and afterward the priest shall go in to see the house for a little while tonight and my intention is not long-windedness but my Subject matter for the next few moments is this. Your house is on fire. Your house is on fire. Amen. Will you join me right now? Because we need heaven to help each and every one of us and help me here this evening. All right. Amen. Father, God, I'm asking God for your anointing. God, in this place, I submit myself, Lord, as your servant right now. God, I submit myself to you as your servant right now. I pray, oh God, today, Lord, you have a pure, untainted word. God, let that word find me. Let that word find us. I pray, oh Lord, today, herald the voice, Lord Jesus. Be the voice, God, that your people hear. Be the voice, God, that speaks in this sanctuary. God, and I thank you and I praise you, Lord, for what you accomplish in this house. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and tell them their house is on fire. Their house is on fire. You may be seated tonight in the lovely name of the Lord. Somewhere along the journey and the different office visits that I've had to the doctor, it seemed like this year I have picked up this particular story, true story that I read and committed to memory until I could get home and pin it down. But as it would go is this, it is a very true story. There was a man that was leaving a place of business and he noticed some billowing smoke not too far in the distance. And having run to similar circumstances before rather than run away from them, he headed that direction. Uh, there was uncertainty whenever he arrived if anyone was in the house. No one was responding at the front door. And it wasn't the easiest to maneuver where there was other access available to the house. There were teeth-bearing dogs on some of the sides of the fences. There were tall, rigid walls that made the task difficult for him to reach any other entrance or access. But he finally succeeded in finding another entrance. He knocked on the door desperately. 
He was yelling this question, is anybody in the house? The door cracked open and a chain visible between the door and the door jam gave view to a person on the other side that was somewhat disheveled in appearance as though they had just woke up. He yelled, your house is on fire. This person had already been reluctant to crack the door and now replies, I don't believe you. And so with much coaxing and the urging, the man had the lady step outside where he was so that she could witness with her own eyes the fire that engulfed her home, her house. And it was only then that this woman was willing to leave her abode and her house for safety. Ladies and gentlemen, there may be voices yelling into our lives at different times in our walks with God that have a very clear warning and a very evident sound that tell us that our house is on fire. But I believe there are times we have held the same position as this woman on the opposite side of the door and we hear those words and disbelief because it's a story for the house down the street. It's a story for the house that I read in the newspaper or I see on the news. It's not my house. It cannot be my house. We're maybe not as forward as she was, but many times we have responded with our actions of being unmovable, amen, and unconcerned. And with so many actions and so many words, we have said, I don't believe you. But somewhere along the journey, we got to step outside of where we're living, step outside where we are at, and see that there is a burning house, and look at it objectively, and see it for ourselves, and be able to react accordingly. Someone say, amen. He says, your house is on fire. She says, I don't believe you. He says, your house is on fire. If you can get out here to where I am, you'll be able to see very clearly that you are in grave danger. Folks, if I could say tonight, we gotta take the man that is knocking on our door at his word, amen, he involved himself, amen, when it didn't have to. He involved himself when it didn't necessitate him being there. He went to great lengths to ensure that nobody was home but somebody was he didn't have any pure thoughts he didn't have any pure motive he's not getting anything out of this he's saying your house is on fire not for giggles not for amusement he's trying to save your life someone say amen because folks, it's kind of like this. It's amazingly, and just hang with me, and if this does not pertain to you tonight, please do not disconnect. Amen. Preach with me for whoever it does pertain to. Amazingly, sometimes matters and items that need addressed in our lives fall into the category of matters and items that we ignore. Yeah, if we don't want to address something, my mechanism is to ignore it. If I don't want to address something, I'll reason and excuse its foothold in my life as being acceptable. If I don't want to address something, I'll lessen its perceived threat as being no big deal. 
But folks, we got to rub our eyes to awareness that there's a real problem that's lurking in the house. Amen. And it may not take our recognition to make it so. I don't have to realize it in order for it to be real. That lady didn't have to recognize the fire in order for that fire to be real and in order for that fire to be valid. But it does take our recognition to make a difference. Someone say amen. She didn't have to say, yeah, that's a real fire in order for it to be a real fire. It was a real fire before she ever stepped outside. But the difference was made for her life when she perceived and seen and acknowledged, hey, there's something going on in my house and I cannot stay where I am else I am in grave danger. She says, I don't believe you. But disbelief will never make a real matter untrue. Disbelief never makes a real matter untrue. Someone say amen. It will not. But it will, disbelief will, make that real matter untrue to you. She could have stayed in her position of disbelief and said, I don't believe you. That would have not taken away the truthfulness of the matter if nothing was done. If no course of action took place, that house could very well burn to its bottom, including her in it. Her disbelief would not have affected the realness of the matter. Amen. It only made it untrue to her. There is an overwhelming, an overwhelming story in the scripture in 2 Samuel 12. The Bible speaks that David is seized by something that the prophet Nathan spoke into his life. Nathan has fabricated a story for David and he's standing before David and he says, David, there was a rich man. He had quite quite a many flocks, quite a many and there was a poor man and he had only one little ewe lamb. They fed that lamb at the table. It was like one of the family members that they took under their wing and there was a sojourner from afar that came to visit this rich man but rather than sparing one from his own flock and his own foe. He went and took that one ewe lamb of the poor man and he sacrificed it and slayed it and prepared it as meat for the sojourner. And at the climax of this story, David was enraged over the misdeeds of the rich man and demanded this man should die and he should restore in abundance of what he has taken from the poor man. But it was in that moment of time that Nathan looks back in the eyes of David and speaks those proverbial very stringent words and says David thou art the man thou art the man what happened David your house is on fire you've committed adultery with a woman you've slain a man as a result of that get your head out of the stand stand where I stand thou art the man and you need to realize where your house is Someone say man. I got to give you proper perspective, David. You're not seeing it. Your house is on fire. David, you can't ignore that now from this perspective. 
You can't ignore that you've committed adultery with a woman. You cannot by no means reason and excuse the actions of killing her husband. You cannot pawn off this whole escapade right now as no big deal. Look, thou art the man. Your house is on fire. Someone say amen. It's in the scripture of Leviticus chapter 13 and 14 and 15 for that matter. That the Old Testament writ deals with a problem, a plague that it calls the plague of leprosy in these verses of scripture. It is a sore or some type of depression on the skin, amen, that would take place and it would ooze forth and it would give give a sign of uncleanliness no doubt with these substances that would be oozing from these sores. It was the plague of leprosy. It's denoted in Leviticus 13, 14, and 15. How to recognize leprosy, how leprosy ought to be cleansed, amen, where leprosy can be be found and what one should do concerning leprosy leprosy had a counterpart in the New Testament scripture leprosy in the Old Testament was a emblem of sin amen for all humanity I guess really whether in the Old or in the New Testament so whenever they talk about the plague of leprosy they are talking about the plague if you will of sin amen and we read there are verses upon verses that are attributed to the this very topic of leprosy. God did not spare in the writing of the Holy Writ to deal with this issue or to deal with this problem. He spoke that leprosy could come upon a person. And particularly, he spoke it particularly in Scripture that leprosy could come upon one's head. And that leprosy could get inside a person's garments. And that leprosy sometimes could be found in the house. Someone say amen. He said this leprosy can sometimes, particularly whenever it comes upon a body, it can be found in the head of an individual. You can read in Leviticus 13 and verse 44 when he stated these words. He said he is a leprous man. He is unclean. The priest shall pronounce him utterly unclean. His plague is in his head. His plague is in his head. This struck me folks. I don't know where leprosy was mostly found in the body. I don't know where it cropped up most of the time whether it be arm, leg, chest or what. But scripture particularly names this particular part of the body when it described the leprosy of a man. That there's leprosy the plague can be found in the head. Amen. It was very no doubt to a certain degree commonplace or he wouldn't take an the time to illustrate that and point it out because I believe in today's world if there's a place that leprosy if there's a place that sin ever finds an easy road into the life of God's people it's whenever the plague gets in the head and the plague affects the patterns of actions and the plague affects the patterns of the thoughts it's when leprosy gets in the head amen 
I know that God is aware of my thought patterns. Scripture tells me that. There are several times in the New Testament without the disciples saying anything verbally, without the scribes and Pharisees saying anything verbally, amen, even uttering a word, he knew their thoughts even before they even said something. Amen. He understood what they were talking about. Amen. The Bible even tells us, Job tells us, amen, revealed in Job 32 and 2 that Job revealed that God knows our thoughts. He said that no thought can be withholden from thee. Speaking of God. The plague that gets in the head. Whenever I reach forth to shake your hand and I commit that action, my brain told my hand and my arm to stretch out those muscles to work in coordination to reach forth and grab your hand. As I'm walking among here and one foot is taking place beside the other, my brain is telling my feet to travel this direction and turn and travel that direction. When I get in my vehicle and I start my engine and I start to go home, the very origin of every action that I do between here and the house is all dictated by what's happening in my mind and dictated by my brain. There is a leprosy. There is a leprosy. There is a plague that's taking place in the head of God's people. How do you know, Brother McGee? Because it's affecting what they do. Amen. You say, well, this is no big deal. It is a big deal because you're doing that because your brain is telling you that's what you ought to do and that is okay to do and there is nothing wrong with that. Your brain, there's a plague that's being found in the head that's dictating your actions has control of your thoughts it's gauging all of your responses there's not one action that takes place in my body that isn't dictated through my thought process someone say amen someone say your house is on fire there's a plague that's happening in the head. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, some scriptures are up there, some won't be, but I think these are. It says, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know God. Do we have verse number 4? I think we have 4 before that. Let's go to 4 first. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification. And honor. Then verse 5. Not in lust of concupiscence. Even as the Gentiles which know not God. Every man ought to know how to possess his body. And not be driven by your desires. Lust. Now here is the telltale sign of the situation. In order to, in order to know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and in honor and not in lustful passion like the Gentiles do. <laughs> in order for that to happen, there must be a practical working knowledge of one's tendencies. In order to know how to possess your vessel, you got to know what your vessel has a tendency of doing. 
Let me say it like this. You got to know your weaknesses. In order to rein in your vessel, you got to know the weaknesses of your vessel. Amen. And we can't go on the concept of what necessarily feels right. Because everything that feels right isn't right. Everything that says the, the, everything that the flesh says is okay is not okay. We, 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 we can't just do what seems right. We got to stay with some things that gives us some guidance. We, 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 amen. We, we, we got to stay with some things that give us guidance. It was true in World War II, and I'm not trying to be story man tonight, but in World War II there was a bomber called Lady Be Good Bomber whose crew was a very well-seasoned flight team, a group of intelligent and combat-ready airmen. And after a successful bombing, they were returning home to the home base late one night, and in front of the pilot and co-pilot was nothing more but a panel of instruments and radar equipment that they had to rely on in order to reach their final destination, home base. And they had made this flight many, many, many times before. So they knew approximately about how long it took to return. But this flight was different. They were unaware of a strong tailwind that was pushing the bomber on its trip throughout the night, much more rapidly through the air than what was usual for them and the men in the cockpit looked in amazement at the instrument paddle amen and it correctly signaled to them that it was time to land but they refused to believe the instrument panel that the dials were accurate that the gauges were accurate because they were confident that they were still miles and miles from home base so they kept flying and they kept hoping and kept looking for those familiar lights the fuels supply was finally depleted the bomber never made it back to home base it was found deep in the desert many miles further than what home base was and many days later and the crew all had perished and overshot the field by a great distance because they followed the promptings of their own feelings it said it don't seem right that we should touch down right now but they were wrong and dead wrong because they didn't trust the instrumentation that was provided right's not always going to be right but I got to look into the word of God and allow it to be my mirror and allow me to see myself and say you know what it don't feel right right now but my instrument panel is telling me I'm square on this is exactly where I need to be this is where I need to land this is where yes folks we need to learn to trust our equipment Someone say amen. He'd get on a person, get in their head, could get in their garment. But if I can, and I'll skip over here very quickly. I don't want to take advantage too much of your time. Amen. But the Bible speaks in the verses of Scripture that I read to you. What we have is the cycle. What we have is the condition of leprosy getting in the house. It's getting in the house. 
when the law was spoken to the children of Israel here in Leviticus. This was not for the time frame, and maybe this is appropriate for us or for some of us. It was not applicable for where they were stationed right now in life because they were in the wilderness. They were traveling with their tents that was made of, quite frankly, very close to how their garments was made of. So the laws that applied to their tent was like the laws that applied to their garments because they were made out of those same skins. So this wasn't something that pertained to them right now at the moment, Brother Wright, but it was something that would pertain to them in their future. Once they got into their land, a promise scenario where they built stationary homes and stationary houses. And he says, if leprosy takes place in a house, note what the scripture says in verse 35. He... That owneth the house shall come and tell the priest, saying, It seemeth to me there is, as it were, a plague in the house. So we have an individual. That's living in a home. And all of a sudden while they're living in that home. There must be at least according to scripture as it would be. There seems to be something coming upon the walls of that home. Enough that it begins to trouble or indicate to the owner of the house. That there might be leprosy in the house. They said it seemeth as though it were a plague in the house. Whether or not it was a plague was not for the owner to decide. They just said, there's something in the home right now that's a little bit questionable. There's something in the house right now that's a little questionable. I can't say if it is or if it isn't, but I think the priest will have a deciding answer. I see a little discoloration here, hon, over on the wall. What do you think we should do? I'm not real sure what that is. I'm not real sure how that's going to affect the house. I'm not real sure how that's going to affect you and I. I'm not real sure how that's going to affect the kids. I'm a little questionable about it. I'm not real sure. What do you think we should do? Well, honey, it's no big deal. I've seen that It's no big deal. See, this is where we start, amen, to take the things that we need to address and pawn them off as no big deal. This is where we come to the place that there's something there. So what we want to do is ignore it. I tell you what, dear, if it's bothering you that much, I'll take our little camel dresser and set it right in front of that. And we'll... I'll just cover it up. Yes, sir. But it's still there. 
It's increasing in size. Its colors turning greenish. It's increasing in depth in the wall. What do you think we ought to do about it? Well, it's no big deal. You know we had so-so or such and such in here. And I think we scraped the wall. That's where we begin to reason and excuse why. Said, it's questionable. What should we do? There'll be some ignored, but there'll be somebody else that will say, you know what? I don't know if it is or if it isn't leprosy, but I'd rather expose it to the priest. I'd rather him come into my house. I'd rather him come into my house rather than us eating every meal around here as though nothing's happening, whether than us going to sleep at night every night as though there's nothing going on in the wall. I would rather have him come in the house and take a look at it and tell me, you know what, that's leprosy in your house or you know what, don't worry about it. But I don't know that for myself. I don't have that decision for me. I gotta allow the priest said it seemeth if God wanted us to be the deciders of what leprosy was or not he allowed every child of Israel to proclaim what was leprous or not in their own homes in their own bodies and in their own garments But as that is not the proper way that the Lord ordained stuff. It wasn't their say so. It was the priest that said so. And if he said it was wrong, it was wrong. If the priest said, hey, you need to get that out, you better get it out. Why? Because it's going to affect more than your home. Somebody's house is on fire here this evening. There, there's something that seemeth to be a little questionable here tonight. What are you saying, Brother McGee? Let me say this, that a home did not become infected just because it was a home. It's not like other homes could get together and fellowship and contract leprosy from one another. Homes don't get infected purely by other residences or other homes. But if there's a plague in the house, it got there from a plague that was in a person or by bringing in something into the home that was already infected and already unclean. Here's the thing, Joe and May. You can be in disbelief. But you're going to have to come to the recognition because it's he that owns the house. It's got to make the plea to the priest. In terms of the family, we're priests of our home. We provide for our home. And we should be purifiers of the home. And as men, it's up to us that if there seemeth to be something over here that may be a plague, we got to invite God into that.
Someone say amen. amen. Because there might not be a leprous spot. Maybe in you, in your wife's room, but it may be in your kid's room. Little Johnny is not responsible for getting the priest. It's daddy, the owner of the home, that says, I think something's here that's a little uncouth. I think something here that's not kosher, but I need to know what you gotta say about it. And whatever you say about it, and what done with it, that's what we're gonna do here in our house. go further than that. Maybe you don't have a man in your life or maybe there's some men that don't have women in their life. Maybe there's only a one individual for his parent household. If that's the case, you are the owner of the home. I mean, I don't want to just paint all these men how responsible they should be. If you don't have a man in your life, you're the, you're the one that's responsible over the home. Someone say amen. amen. Says you gotta go, you gotta go get the priest. And what's gonna happen here? The priest is gonna go in there and he's gonna look at that thing. Amen. He's gonna look upon the plague. And if it looks a certain way, he's gonna shut the door for seven days and he's gonna come back. That's verse 38. But if he comes back and it seems like the plague has not just remained contained and it's spread a little bit more, hallelujah, that the Bible says the stones on which the plague is, you're gonna remove those stones from your wall and you're gonna take them out of the city to an unclean place and you're gonna dispose of them and replace them with new stones. Watch me now. He said on stones that are not too far gone, you'll scrape that greenness, you'll scrape that off the wall. But don't leave what you scraped off the wall in your house. He says you take the dust from the scrapings of the wall and you take it out to an unclean place outside of the city and you dispose of it. Because if you leave what you scraped off the wall in the house and put it on the floor, it won't be long, it'll be back up on the wall. It'll affect your structure. Listen to me, folks. There's no reason why that we need to make these little plan Bs in case we fall out with God. We still have everything we had before we came to God. I know, I know, I know on a regular basis people go, you know, we as human beings, we inflate and deflate. Amen. You know, I got clothes. I don't necessarily, but you know, you have clothes when you were larger. You have clothes when you were smaller, and you might put the clothes when you were larger in a tote while you were smaller, so that if you get larger again, you got those clothes. But then you keep the clothes that you're smaller, so that you get back that way again. You can get those totes. What you're doing is making a provision that either one direction or the other, you're not going to stay that way. See, we scrape stuff off the wall. Leprosy, a plague found in the house. And we're just going to put that away for right now. We're going to shove that under the bed right now. 
We're going to put that up in the closet, put it in a tote, just leave it unlabeled out in the old attic somewhere. Pre-adventure that this thing starts going south. I still have all the provisions that I had before I ever came to God and exposed to the priest what was going on in my house. Now, it's, it can be found, be found in the house. Now he says, now listen to me. He says that if he does this stuff and they take out, they take out stones and they replace them with new stones, we need sometimes some renovation like that. We need to take out what's been infected and put in something that is not tainted. The Bible went to the degree that they scraped the mortar and even put new mortar in. He says if we do that though and that there's still a problem taking place. However desperate you are to have a plague-free house, you'll go to the measures in order to accomplish that. He said if there still is a problem after the replacement principle and out of the disposing principle and there's still a problem in the house he says this is what it's going to have to take according to the priest he says we're going to have to tear down every stone every piece of timber we're going to have to totally destroy the house and just build a new one he said if you truly desire a plague free home start from scratch if you got to but whenever you get done, you'll lay your head down at night knowing this thing is plague free. There's nothing here that's going to latch on my children. There's nothing here that's going to get in my garment. There's nothing here that's going to impact generations after I'm cold in the grave. Because see, folks, whenever it gets to that degree, he said that's a fretting leprosy in the house. I, I'm trying to keep track of, trying to keep track of time here. That's a fretting leprosy in the house. It's a peculiar. When we're talking about fretting leprosy, <clears throat> we're talking about a leprosy that has really got very intense here. The Bible spoke of back in. Leviticus chapter 13 when we're speaking of leprosy that gets in a body it speaks of something similar to leprosy that gets in a body in chapter 13 and verse number 9 the Bible says when the plague of leprosy is in a man then he shall be brought into the priest now look now and the priest shall see him and behold if their eyes be white in the skin and it have turned the hair white look now though and there be quick raw flesh in the rising Notice what he says. It is an old leprosy. He says, if it has all these conditions, and here is the distinguishing factor from just any other leprosy that just appeared yesterday. He said, if there be quick, raw, the word raw there literally means living. If there's quick, living flesh in the rising... That's something that just didn't happen yesterday. That's an old leprosy. That's a leprosy that 
where because usually they start describing the skin if there's a place on the skin that is recessed a little bit different than the surface area of the skin we're talking about a piece of the skin that is recessed so deeply that it's got to the very flesh and muscle and sinew of the body that don't happen overnight that's an old Ooh, Jesus, that's an old leprosy. That's an old leprosy. And an old leprosy only comes about if it was an ignored leprosy. An old leprosy only comes about if it was a reasoned and an excused leprosy. An old leprosy only comes about if it was pawned off in the beginning as a no big deal leprosy. Someone say amen. He says that's, a, that's an old Leprosy, if it's found to be as such. What are you saying then tonight, Brother McGee? I'm saying this. We got to be conscious about what's taking place in our bodies, particularly our minds. There's a reason why the apostle told us in Philippians 2. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Why, Lord, are you telling your people that this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus? Because Paul's mind, hey man, gives him certain actions and they are carried about because my mind tells me to go. But when I have the mind of Christ superimposed upon my own mind, when Paul would go right, Christ's mind says you're going left. Whenever his mind gets inside of me, his mind is dictating the actions his mind is dictating the goings his mind is the one that's doing all of these things whenever I get his mind inside of my mind hallelujah so why are we doing this because I need to be conscious of my body I need to be conscious of my garment I need to be conscious of my house and what's taking place there folks we need not and I know we don't have a lot of people that maybe have children still living under their roof but honey you got to be conscious of your house because you got kids living in that home you got to be conscious of your house you got to be conscious what comes in the doors and what goes out the door you got to be conscious of the people that come in your house and the people that go out your house because you never know what item they might leave there that might be leprous and in a plague type fashion that may infect your home and in well doing impact your life I'm closing, I'm closing, I'm closing. Really, I am. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. So my house is on fire. It's infected, it's diseased with, with seemingly a plague of leprosy. Maybe the priest has already come in and he has declared a state of an emergency for your home. There is a plague in here. We're going to have to see what's going to be done with this. What can we do, Brother McGee? What can we do? What do you do when you find out and you are in concert belief that your house is in trouble? He says, the priest said, before I come, he said, get everything out of the house. The wisdom of the priest was there because if this is leprosy, we don't want it impacting anything else that's in your home. The Bible says, and I come to a close, 
It was not the first miracle that Jesus performed, but it was the first individual miracle that he performed in New Testament scripture. It was the cleansing of the leper. Matthew chapter number eight. To the leper he said, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy that was upon this man was cleansed. The Bible says, and Brother Mason, you can come, that Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the leper. Haggai 2 tells us very plainly about how an individual becomes unclean when they touch something that is unclean. So the only way you can touch something or someone unclean and not become unclean yourself is if you make the other person or the other thing clean. And that's not natural. When unclean and clean come together, they both cannot stay the same. Therefore, whenever Jesus touched the leper, either he or the leper had to change. One was clean. You understand with me. One was unclean. So somebody had to change. It's not natural for Christ to have touched the unclean thing and not become unclean. But when you deal with Christ, you're not dealing with the realm of the natural. You're dealing with the realm of the supernatural. And I know by the infallible word of God, that Christ isn't changing. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. And while in every other arena where clean touches unclean, the clean becomes infected. Whenever Christ comes in touch with the unclean, the unclean becomes clean. Are you dealing with a plague in your body? Do not refrain from letting him touch you tonight. Because you'll become clean. Is there a plague in your garment? Don't refrain from letting him touch you tonight. Because he'll be made clean. Is there something that's suspicious going on in your house? Let the priest come in. Let him give the final word. And don't worry about whether he'll leave your home unclean. It won't happen. Quite on the contrary, will take place. So I'm encouraging somebody tonight. If there are voices screaming in your head, or maybe even throughout this sermon tonight that says, hey, your house is on fire. Your house is on fire. Please don't fold your arms in disbelief. Gain the perspective of the one that's talking. And see the flames. And tell yourself, I'm not going to let this go by. I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to do something about this. Why? Because my house is at stake. Oh, those that live with me in this house is at stake. There are some lives that are at stake. These altars are open. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.